0: UFO Thinker Podcast. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker Podcast. My name is Frank, and let's get cracking. So uh, let me just explain what's going on with this episode. So basically, uh, a few days ago, I recorded a roundtable discussion with um, Ash and Greg and also Dave Smethurst. And the idea of those roundtable discussions is to do recent events. And in that recent events, we talked about some of the recent UFO videos and uh, other various things that had been happening with the NASA announcement. But just before we recorded that there was a huge uh, kind of bombshell of Luella Zondo's IG complaint um, being released to the public for the first time. And we did discuss it a little bit, but obviously it's a pretty huge event to have happened. So I wanted to go into that in quite a lot more detail, as it turns out. Um, so this is going to be a part one and a part two of a real deep dive into exactly what is contained in that report. And... Um, so we're going to get stuck into that but there may be these episodes i think i'm going to put them out straight away so they're going to go out um, immediately and then you'll probably hear the roundtable discussion after those which is then going to be talking about how the ig report has just happened so it may kind of work out a little bit strange in terms of the timings but i wanted to get this out import- as quick as possible because i believe it's very important information and um, so yeah that's that Um, so let's get straight into the big one then Lou Elizondo's IG complaint part one Lou Elizondo's inspector general complaint is now publicly available for anybody to read now this has been a pretty huge thing in my opinion and essentially let's go into a little bit first about what the actual whole thing's all about so What is the Inspector General? Because being in the UK especially, I know a lot of my listeners are from the States, so you'll probably be more aware of this anyway, but probably bears repeating. And if you're in the UK, you might have no idea about what it is. So basically, the Department of Defence has an office of the Inspector General, which was established in 1982. And basically, the, the purpose of this office is to supervise monitor and initiate audits evaluations and investigations relating to programs and operations of the department of defense essentially it's a means of providing oversight and being able to dig into any allegations of wrongdoing from an impartial standpoint if anything like that does arise now as we know there has been some investigations into pretty serious misconduct by Gary Reed, who was recently removed from his position as the uh, Pentagon's Director for Defense Intelligence in the office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. They're a mouthful, some of these uh, office names, aren't they? But anyway, he was removed from that role as a result of investigations into very serious uh, misconduct Uh, allegations including uh, sexual harassment and sexual misconduct uh, and and claims that he engaged in an inappropriate sexual relationship with a female staffer and also a real disastrous um, mishandling of the american uh, troops withdrawal from afghanistan uh, and and many other things it's a pretty complicated picture but essentially those are the kinds of things that the IG is set up to look into and Lou Elizondo had actually posted a complaint to the the IG uh, regarding the way that he had been treated by Gary Reed and Susan Goff who's a Pentagon spokesperson and also Neil Tripton as well. Now this extended this actual report wasn't available in full, but certain people had had access to it for quite some time. Now, now it's actually available in full. And I've been looking into how this has all come about because it is a little bit complicated. But basically, as I understand it, and this is from speaking to a few people who I know on the grapevine and... I can't say exactly who I've spoken to, but it's people who have very, very direct knowledge of this and they themselves have managed to actually get hold of this document in full prior to it becoming publicly released. And I believe the, the thing that happened was Luella Zondo himself had a copy of this document and what he's done is obviously when he's filed the complaint in the first place, he's filled out this form, put all of his version of events in, you know, forward to the IG, and I think what's happened is Lou himself has actually got this redacted. So there's a redacted version of his IG complaint, and then he has been using that redacted version as part of a vetting process for journalists. So he's been giving this document to journalists as part of you know allowing them to vet him and his background uh, to prove that he is who he says who he is, etc. And various, you know, people who ha- who have needed to vet Lou Elizondo for whatever reason have had this document. And the way that this has come out is that Stephen Greenstreet did a documentary episode on Lou Elizondo and ORSAP and James Lukatsky and digging into the background of that and and essentially claiming that a lot of what had been stated in the past was wrong and, and and all this kind of thing and a lot of what he was quoting from using screenshots and things from in that documentary was the ig complaint so a lot of people asked the question well why are you not releasing this document You know, if you're quoting from a document, surely the proper journalistic thing to do would be to have that document publicly available so that anybody can scour through it and make up their own mind. Because obviously all you were getting in the documentary was just screenshots and quotes from a document which you can't read, so you can't get the wider context. Um, And what happened was Stephen Greenstreet himself actually tweeted that the all of the documents referenced in that episode are now listed in the episode description on YouTube. So, I mean, I'm not really sure whether or not it's the right thing to do to release this this document on Green Street's part. It's a bit of a tricky one from my point of view. I'm very glad that this document is available. Is it the right thing to do in terms of a from a legal standpoint and from the point of view of he was given access to this document and was he supposed to publish it or is he not supposed to publish it? I don't know exactly how that works in terms of, you know, whether or not Luella Zondo is going to be happy about the fact this is out or whether he's going to be not at all happy because he was he was giving this to, to journalists and people who needed to vet him, um, you know, on the basis that they never share it. I don't really understand how that works. However, what I do know is that Lou Elizondo was showing this document to people as part of a vetting process, or at least hit somebody on his team was showing this document to people as far as uh, as part of a vetting process. And now Stephen Greenstreet has released it in the reference notes for the episode that he put out. So that's basically how I became aware of the document having come out, and various people were posting links to it, which is an actual Dropbox link from Stephen Greenstreet's Dropbox. And which is the, the source of it that John Greenwald posted and then various other people kind of reposted it and posted links of their own and so on. So now the document's fully out there in the world, basically. And um, I will actually post a link to it in Dropbox in the episode description so that you can read that for yourself as well. Now, it's a long document. It's about 64 pages in length. And when we talked about it on the uh, roundtable discussion that we did, Uh, We basically just touched on it very briefly because we already had our recording scheduled and the actual document came out about two hours before we were about to record. So myself and and Dave had managed to actually read, you know, a a decent chunk of it. Um, And Ash and Greg, I don't think we're aware that it had come out yet because we we were all working that day. So I didn't have a chance to see it. Um, So that episode would have come out a couple of days ago. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, um, you know, it'll have been you know a few days since the, the actual IG complaint became public. So you'll have had a chance to sort of learn a little bit about it. And obviously now I've had a chance to, to read it in a bit more detail compared to what I did when I was talking about it on the roundtable discussion. So let's get into what the actual situation is with this report, then. As I said, 64 pages in length. It starts off the first couple of pages are like kind of like tick box forms with some spaces for names and things like that and it it mentions that lou elizondo is the person who's actually the one filing the report and he ticks various boxes uh, to choose that he identifies himself for the complaint and so on and the list is full name and his address which of course is all redacted and um And then it goes into the allegation details of who has actually done the alleged wrongdoing. Now, before we get into that, it's worth considering as well how this has actually been redacted. Because you would imagine that Lou Elizondo files this form. Perhaps it must be the case that Lou Elizondo has actually gone through a process of requesting for this form to be redacted. I would suggest that he can't have redacted it himself because... There's very significant legal repercussions if you, you know, leak information which can identify a person and, you know, I would imagine what he must have had to do is apply for this to be redacted so that he can then use it as part of that vetting process that I mentioned earlier. And if he's done that, then you have to imagine that he, he must have known that this redacted report might come out at some point. So when you read this, I think it's worth bearing that in mind because Lou Elizondo has not written this from the point of view of knowing that it's never going to go public. It seems that he has specifically requested this to be redacted so he can use it in his vetting uh, processes and probably in the knowledge that it would come out at some point. Now, as I say, I'm not sure, I've not heard from Lou Elizondo um, as to whether or not what well, how he feels about the fact that this is out. He might be really annoyed that it's out or he might be happy that it's out. I don't really know, but I would imagine that he must have known that it probably could come out at some point. And bearing in mind, he probably would have included potentially certain breadcrumbs knowing that it could go public at some stage. So that's interesting to consider. So anyway, having said all of that then, um, it, we move on to the allegation details of who's actually committed the alleged wrongdoing. And the first person listed is Gary Reed, So obviously the person who I mentioned just earlier on. And um, the next person is Susan Goff, another person who I mentioned earlier on, who is the Pentagon spokesperson. And also then we've got Neil Tipton as well. I may have said Tripton earlier. Neil Tipton it is, isn't it? Anyway, there we go. So the third person listed as uh, potentially doing the the alleged wrongdoing is Neil Tipton, who is listed as a civilian employee. And then we move on to what the actual alleged wrongdoing was. What did the persons do or fail to do that was wrong? And we have listed here in Lou Elizondo's uh, you know, no offence to Lou Elizondo, but his writing is not the easiest to read. So I'll try my best to read, read this correctly. Uh, but it says, conducted rep- retribution and provided false information to the public. I can't read that next word. Abusing, there we go, abusing government authority. Illegal destruction of information. So some pretty serious allegations there. And these incidents allegedly took place between 2018 to present date which present date obviously would have been at the time of actually filing this complaint and as you move along it says where did the incident incidents take place the pentagon and what rule regulation or law do you believe to have been violated and that is listed in lou elizondo's handwriting as whistleblower protection act multiple DOD directives, I believe, instructions and also Freedom of Information Act. So again, very, very, very significant allegations there, which seem to centre around false information being provided to the public, abuse of government authority positions, retribution in terms of uh, essentially a a vendetta against Lou Elizondo personally from Gary Reed, an illegal destruction of information, which refers to the deletion of Lou Elizondo's emails, which we know uh, has taken place. So very really quite significant allegations there. And it goes on to talk about uh, in a lot more detail. And obviously I'm not going to go through every aspect of this because it's 64 pages in length, but there are very um, significant elaborations on what i've just mentioned about with those basic points there Uh, and it goes into a lot more detail about exactly how um you know all of that unfolded and it says uh, one little quote that i'll pick out here is at a very minimum actions have been taken against me that directly erode the very foundation of our national security ethos and the public trust instilled by the American people. I'm fully aware of the magnitude of my allegation against certain individuals in the department and I am able to substantiate these claims. And I think this is very important as well because one of the things does obviously as you can imagine there's been a pretty significant amount of discussion on ufo twitter and various other platforms about this document now people have actually had the opportunity to uh, to read it in full and one of the things that a lot of people have said is well this doesn't prove anything because it's just lou elizondo stating his case again but i think there's a really important thing to bear in mind here it's one thing for lou elizondo to make claims that this this and this happened on a podcast okay on, on a youtube channel that somebody's made uh, on on a spotify podcast or even on a tv show it's a very different thing luella zondo literally putting his entire reputation and career and his his good name that he's built up over the years on the line in an official document making very serious allegations against pretty high up people in the dod you know we're talking about you know, an official document being filed, which is going to be looked into and put under a tremendous amount of scrutiny because it involves, you know, people's reputations. It's a very serious allegation. So anything that comes of this might result in prosecutions and people losing their jobs at the DOD in very significant positions. So it's a big difference, in my opinion, what Lou Elizondo is willing to put down in writing in this context compared to what he would say on a podcast. And some people have, like I say, the more sceptical kind of crowd, I guess, have been saying things along the lines of, you know, well, it's just Lou Elizondo saying stuff. What does that matter? He's, he can say stuff. But he's, he's, that's missing the point entirely. If he's willing to actually put this on record in an official document in this way, it's very different in my opinion to just saying something on a podcast like for example consider me talking on my podcast right now i could make a claim about this this and this and there's you know a certain amount of repercussions i guess in terms of reputations and stuff like that 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 might come of that if i say something that's completely wrong people might criticize me for it basically is what i'm saying however if I was being interviewed by the police or if I was filing a complaint to the police about a certain individual, you would definitely consider what you were going to put into that document a lot more closely than something that you would just say on a podcast. So it's a completely different scenario to, you know, as I say, talking on a podcast or an interview to what what you would put down in writing with your name attached to it, accusing other people of very serious allegations in this way. So, I think for that reason, what is contained in this document is you know can be taken a lot more seriously than what might be mentioned on a podcast now, the thing is is the next thing that gets mentioned as we go through the pages are on page eight here by the way, if anybody's uh you know kind of got the document up as they listen to this or whatever um so the next thing that we that, that we go into here is. A portion of this document, which goes through a very specific chronological order, series of events being laid out to to really dig into the details of what Louis Zondo's involvement in ATIP, RSAP and all the rest of it actually was. Now, I think this is really important because at the end of the day, Louis Zondo has laid these kind of things out over the years. But a lot of people, and I've noticed this when I've been debating people about certain alleged uh, discrepancies with what Lou Elizondo has talked about in interviews and on Twitter, when I've talked to people about this, a lot, of th- a lot of the time, which is understandable by the way as well, a lot of the time people haven't had the opportunity to, to hear all the interviews with Lou Elizondo where he goes into detail about this stuff, because... It has been a slightly confusing picture as it's all emerged through no fault of anybody in particular because there were a lot of people in the beginning who hadn't actually become public knowledge yet. For example, Lou Elizondo um, some years ago now was on the Black Vault doing an interview with John Greenwald and he laid out the exact timeline of how everything unfolded but he had to keep certain people's names withheld because they hadn't gone public yet. And Lou Elizondo had made, um, you know, promises to these people to not bring their name out until they were ready to go public. And the particular one that of note here is is uh, Dr. James Lukatsky, who is basically the the original director of the OSAP program. And Lou Elizondo spoke about meeting Lekatsky and how he was vetted and then interviewed by Lekatsky. And but the only thing was he didn't mention Lekatsky's name but he referred to him as the quintessential rocket scientist, which if you look at James Lekatsky, he does look a bit like a typical rocket scientist that he would expect. And obviously a very brilliant mind, you know, literally a rocket scientist. This is a guy who specializes in, you know, rocket propulsion and things like that. And my actual point here is that people who may not have been able to get the full timeline or have heard it in dribs and drabs, because I've scoured every Lou Elizondo interview doing research for my podcast, because, you know, for one, I'm really interested to hear what he has to say. And for two, I think it's important to be able to see every aspect of what he talks about in interviews to try and get that bigger picture. But unless you've done that, which is understandable that you might not have done, you might not have had the opportunity to see his... You know, clear version of events what this document does is it presents it in paragraph after paragraph with dates and names attached to it obviously there are still some redactions but most of it is is all there and it's a, a way of putting into the public record a written you know formalized version of exactly what happened and as I said, you know, I think we can take this to the bank as being what happened because Lou Elizondo is not going to make fabrications and risk implicating himself in in you know, you know, making falsifications to to the the U.S. to the U.S. government essentially. You know, I don't I don't think that he would he would risk lying in this in this document. I mean, it just seems like common sense that uh, that he wouldn't do that, or it, at least. You know it's a lot less likely that he would do that than it would be to make false statements on a podcast now i don't think he's made false statements on a podcast either personally but maybe other people would look at that differently but anyway that's why i think that's this is important because it, it, it finally kind of clarifies and puts a, a clear version of his version of events into the public sphere for people to actually read for themselves now I wasn't surprised by any of this version of events because, like I said, he has said this for years and he said it going back onto that, that uh, John Greenwald podcast and he, he's mentioned every single step that's mentioned in this IG complaint before. So this isn't really new information, but as I said, it's a lot clearer now and it's good, I think, to have that out in the public sphere for people to reference. And you can examine you know, claims of dishonesty and trying to mislead people that are, that are, you know, put up against Lou Elizondo, you can examine that with a little bit more of the context. Now we've got this fully fleshed out version of the, um, the, the version of events that Lou is putting across. But I thought it was quite interesting that he basically is just saying exactly the same version of events that he said all along. Now, the people that claim that Lou Zondo is lying, the people who have, who have claimed that he's misleading the public and trying to lead the UFO community astray, and there's been all kinds of, of, of accusations uh, put up against him. People have said in the past that, you know, that he's doing all of these things. In my opinion, now seeing all of this written down in this official document, it, it looks even less likely that he is doing any of that. So... There, that's my opinion on it but obviously you can read it and uh, essentially make up your own mind but very very quickly to kind of give a few little points that uh, are mentioned in, in this timeline essentially in june 2008 this is the first point where it all began while assigned as a chief to the information sharing and foreign intelligence relationships office the office of the under secretary of defense for intelligence I was approached by representatives from the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Application Program, to provide counterintelligence and security expertise to their office. The two individuals whom I engaged with were identified as both being part of the ORSAP effort, Mr. J. Stratton, and Redacted. Both of these individuals were an integral part of the ORSAP effort. Our initial meeting occurred in my office at Redacted. Now, the thing there that's very important is, as I said, that is exactly the version of events that Lou Elizondo said years ago on that John Greenwald interview. And you can go and check that interview out for yourself and you will hear that exact same thing. So, and then it actually gives the contact info of all of the people involved there. Um, for obviously the people who are handling this IG complaint to look into for themselves if they need to do so. And again, I think that is really important, by the way, um, about this particular IG complaint, is that many of the significant details it, it says in the in the uh, text itself, in brackets, classified details can be provided over a secure means and with a demonstrated need to know. And it that is repeated throughout this document with any of the most significant details. Now, obviously, Lou Elizondo is not going to put that, you know, any classified information that he's been privy to, because he still has, you know, his obligations to not disclose that and 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 be very very responsible and careful with any of that information that he's been privy to in the past. So he's not just going to blur it, blur it all out on a podcast, or he's not going to blurb it all out on this. Uh, IG complaint, either, especially knowing that it could become available to the public at some stage. So, but I think it's particularly important that not only is he making these claims, but he is offering the people handling the IG complaint the opportunity to actually be able to see this data to prove that these points are correct, which I think, I guess, as I say, is, is pretty important to bear in mind. Now, again it moves on to say for a couple of weeks uh, meetings were held at lou elizondo's office during the meetings it was it was told to lou that rsap needed uh, counterintelligence and security support and that basically lou elizondo's background as a credentialed counterintelligence special agent was needed for what they were trying to do and they also indicated they required somebody who was an expert in uh, certain types of aerospace technology and at the time he wasn't told on the specific mission of OSAP in terms of that it was to do with ufos but they'd indicated that you know if everything went well and he was brought in he he would be actually referred to the director of the program for further vetting and consideration so what we can take from this is there's a very quite a lengthy and drawn out process to vet lou elizondo before they even told him what the program was all about which you would expect given the sensitive nature of the program so, going on to July 2008, so this is the, obviously the next month, after various meetings to vet Lou Elizondo, uh, Mr. Stratton and Redacted invited Lou to go to the uh, OSAP director, James Lekatsky. As I said, so far, everything that I've mentioned just now is exactly as Lou Elizondo has described it historically on podcasts, etc. The only difference is we've got a few more names involved now, uh, which were withheld by Lou Elizondo initially. And Lou was uh, given directions to an, an undisclosed DIA facility in the Rosslyn area. And again, this is the first time it's mentioned that classified details can be provided uh, over secure means if necessary. Now, during the meeting, Lou met with Lekatsky and Lekatsky basically told him that he was an expert in missile technology and the director of the OSAP program. And during this meeting, Lekatsky told him uh, told Lou the full name of the RSAP portfolio and the focus of the mission. And Lekatsky explained to him that his background in the counterintelligence uh, field, along with his expertise in um, advanced aviation technology, made him uniquely qualified to help out with the RSAP program in the counterintelligence capacity. And he, he also went on to explain that RSAP was part of a very sensitive effort that was sponsored by very senior level individuals, at both the legisl- legislative and executive branches. And he, he further indicated to Lou that all personnel were hand selected. And during this discussion, Lukatsky asked him what I think about UFOs. Uh, you know, Lukatsky asked Lou what he thinks, what Lou thinks about UFOs. And Luz mentioned this again many times on interviews, word for word. And he said, my response was sincere in that, quote, I don't think about UFOs, unquote, not because I don't believe in them, but because I simply do not have the luxury to think about them, given my mission, op tempo and mission focus. So again, Lou's talked about this many, many times. Now, I think what was quite interesting there is that Lekatsky actually said that OSAP was part of a very sensitive effort that was sponsored by very senior level individuals i thought that was quite intriguing orsap being part of a wider effort maybe there and that's not something i've necessarily heard before so could it be that orsap was related to other programs and had links to other programs and was part of a wider effort rather than just being kind of a standalone program i think that's uh interesting to consider that's just a little point there that i noticed when i was reading it through now obviously some of these points can be a bit you're reading too much into a you know a sort of certain wording and things like that so we do have to be careful there but the fact that Lukatsky is explaining to lou that the osap's not just a standalone program it's part of a very sensitive effort now i do think that's quite interesting and and i wonder what can be read into that but as i say you know let's not get too bogged down in that because you can end up going down rabbit holes where there may not not be anything more to that i don't know but it just struck me the wording of it a bit interesting anyway so after another additional follow-up meeting with Lukatsky, um lou was asked by Lukatsky to assume the role of OSAP's chief of counterintelligence and security now again we've got to bear in mind lou elizondo at this point knew that the program was about things to do with ufos but he wasn't involved in that program in that capacity he was involved in the program as counterintelligence and security which is what he was brought on board to handle in the first place and when lou Elizondo was said in the past on twitter that he wasn't involved in rsap you know um that's basically what he means and people are kind of taking that out of context and saying oh because lou said he wasn't involved in rsap and apparently he was the rsap director and all this kind of thing You've you've got to bear in mind that bigger picture. Lou Elizondo wasn't really involved in the work of RSAP. He handled the counterintelligence and security for RSAP, which is a different thing. And he has actually said this all along. If you go back to that uh, John Greenwald interview, he says specifically that he was brought on board with RSAP to handle counterintelligence and security. So it's not really been that unclear in the past. And I think... You have to bear in mind that Lou Elizondo is treading very carefully with not revealing names and not revealing exactly what went on. So he has to handle questions very carefully. But he has said all along that he was doing counterintelligence and security for OSAP, you know, so it's not really that he has lied about anything when he said he wasn't involved in osap he wasn't really he handled the counterintelligence for osap but he wasn't involved in the work that they actually did i think it's really important to bear that in mind now obviously people might interpret this differently I am aware that obviously there's you know a fair few people listen to my podcast and some of you might be listening to this thinking that you know Lou Elizondo did mislead with that statement it's up to everybody's personal interpretation but what i would say is my personal thing is that I don't think there was a deliberate attempt there uh, to mislead anybody or to lie. I think it was purely the fact that it's kind of like semantics. You know, He wasn't involved with the work at the end of the day. He wasn't involved in OSAP. You can't ask Llewellyn Zondo questions about what OSAP were working on because he wasn't aware of that, or he may have been aware of certain aspects of it because he was handling the counterintelligence. But at the end of the day, his role was purely to handle counterintelligence and security because that was his background anyway as you move along basically when you fast forward now uh, a little bit to august 2008 which bearing in mind is only a little bit further down the line while supporting the orsap effort in his counterintelligence role he was informed by Lukatsky and other orsap personnel about a specific effort within the portfolio known as the advanced aerospace threat identification program ATIP. And most of his efforts were focused on that aspect of the project. And um, Lou was informed that that effort involved collecting data and evidence from military personnel specifically who came into contact with UAP. And that term was apparently explained to him as the government... How do you even say this word? Nomenclature? Nomenclature? (laughs) That's one of those words that I've read many times, but I've never really said it out loud. So there you go, nomenclature. I think I got that right. I'll say it right next time. Um, so yeah, apparently UAP is the government nomenclature for unidentified flying objects, UFOs. And furthermore, Lou was asked to develop a comprehensive counterintelligence and security plan for this effort to protect the program from possible foreign intelligence penetrations. So again, Lou Elizondo there was handling the counterintelligence for tip now which was part of ORSAP's wider effort. Going along then to September 2008, so again, this is just basically a month later, uh, Lou Elizondo created a counterintelligence and security posture for both ORSAP and ATip, and he attended various senior-level debriefings, including one which was with a, foreign, a former foreign military member with a general officer rank, which was arranged by Dr. Lekatsky. That's quite interesting because it does make you think about who that could have been. I was also present for, this is obviously taken directly from the document here, uh, I was also present for numerous written updates by Dr. Lekatsky to the Director of DIA and other senior DIA officials regarding RSAP ATip, which were well received. Ample correspondence exists between DIA senior staff and Dr. Lekatsky that substantiates DIA leadership was not only supportive but also in favour of the RSAP ATIP efforts to be expanded. I was personally aware of both meetings and debriefings in which RSAP and ATIP were discussed and I was privy to several classified emails that substantiate this fact. Those emails still exist within a specific office at the Pentagon in both electronic and hard copies. Details and specifics of this information can be provided separately over a secure means. So again, he's talking about having an actual paper trail here, which he's willing to, uh, you know, go into uh, depth on to prove that you know these emails exist. to To prove that at the time in two thousand and eight, all the way through to June two thousand and nine, DIA leadership was very supportive of this effort, and they were fully aware. and And he has got emails apparently to back up the fact that DIA leadership was not only supportive but wanted it to be expanded which again is, you know, bearing in mind, we can't see the emails which supposedly back this up, but if he's willing, Lou Zondo is willing to put in that I can prove to you with direct paper trail evidence that DIA leadership were very supportive, and if you need me to, I'll show you those emails to the, to the people who are handling this IG complaint. If he's willing to go that far... I think it's fairly safe to say that good evidence most likely does exist that can prove that dia leadership were very supportive of this effort and that is directly in contradiction to some of the arguments put against lua Elizondo and and uh, lukatski that this was some kind of program that was hidden away dia leadership didn't know about it and they thought of it as some kind of wacky goblins and werewolves type of program as soon as they found out about it they shut it down that isn't the case because the actual leadership were very supportive apparently and wanted it to be expanded so i think that's a a pretty significant point there now it goes on then to mention about how uh, harry reid requested sap status for the program and um, moving along you get to 2009 2010 new leadership at the dia began to create challenges for Dr. Lukatsky, despite the previous leadership fully endorsing the efforts. And there's various redacted names about who it was that had come into this new leadership and uh, were attempting to shut down the effort. And apparently, part of the reason for that was a religious aversion to the subject matter by certain members of the DIA and OSD staff And apparently, again, there are actually emails here, which Lou Elizondo has apparently seen, which essentially criticise the even existence of these programmes and try to kill the effort because it involved that crazy UFO topic again. So clearly, whoever has come into DIA leadership at this point, 2009, 2010, is not conducive to keeping this program going they're not keen on the thing existing in the first place and certainly wouldn't want it to be expanded now in 2009 october 2009 lou was asked to attend a meeting within the OUSDI sapco spaces where he was told that this effort should be discontinued And although the topic was real, it had supernatural origins not consistent with certain religious views of specific senior leadership. And Lou reported the results of this meeting to Dr. Lakatsky. So could this be the kind of Collins elite that has been discussed? I mean, the actual extent of this Collins elite stuff is open to, you know, interpretation. But essentially the point is that there are certain people with pretty deep running religious beliefs that believe that anything related to this topic is demonic in nature and do not want it to be looked at because they believe that it's messing around with things that we shouldn't be messing around with and I don't know what extent that's actually true because I haven't worked in these programs or, or dealt with any of these individuals, but I have heard this numerous times and this certainly seems to refer to that. The previous leadership of the DIA didn't have that way of looking at it, but the new leadership that came in definitely did, apparently according to Lou Elizondo's version of events. As you can imagine, as time went along, this kind of started to get to Dr. Lekatsky. So between 2009-2010, well, so July 2009 and January 2010, that's when these these, uh, problems started to emerge. And in February 2010, which is just after the period just mentioned, um, and this is through February through April 2010, so February, uh, March, April, so over a period of a few months there, Lekatsky indicated to Lou that the pressure that he was f- facing was increasing and he would be basically forced to resign from his duties as the director of OSAP and ATIP and return to headquarters of the DIA. And apparently Dr Lukatsky was in pretty poor spirits at the time because he believed he was being unfairly prosecuted, uh, sorry, unfairly persecuted for his role in what was an authorized mission he was just doing his job but he was being berated for that and and really coming under some pressure because the new leadership at the dia weren't uh you know weren't supportive of of this effort so in april 2010 dr Lukatsky approached lou elizondo and asked if he would consider assuming the role of OSAP and atip director now Lou Elizondo apparently said to Lekatsky that most of his experience involved the ATIP portfolio and that he'd only worked on RSAP from a tangential perspective. And Lekatsky's response to Lou apparently was that he had already kind of floated Lou's name as the new director with the leadership and that it was unanimously agreed by all of them that Lou Elizondo should be the new director. And apparently Lekatsky suggested to Lou to... Uh, manage the effort under his authorities as a member of the OSD staff and not keep it within DIA due to the hostile environment he was experiencing. Which makes sense. You know, this effort's being shut down by the DIA leadership. Let's move it out of the DIA jurisdiction and get it in a, in a place where they can actually do this work without being harassed all the time. So of stands to reason. So after considering uh, the offer from Lukatsky. Lou Elizondo accepted the responsibility, provided that all of the stakeholders supported the decision. And Lukatsky uh, was informed by Lou Elizondo that he would begin to engage with select OUSDI senior staff members to gain some additional mission support. So between May 2010 and August 2012, Lou Zondo was in the role as director for ATIP and ORSAP. And Lou made the decision to minimize existing efforts within the ORSAP portfolio, given the negative attention that it was receiving by the DIA leadership. It was Lou's observation that key elements within DIA were attempting to hide anything related to ORSAP, simply due to a perceived sense of stigma. So as such, Lou focused the remaining efforts on ATIP, given that there was a lot of uh, information data and evidence which they continued to receive which indicated continued incursions into controlled u.s airspace and again there's uh, this is listed as one of those points that can be confirmed over secure means and during this time period uh lou's office apparently had multiple meetings with eyewitnesses to include pilots radar operators and ships crew Furthermore emails were being sent to lose office at the classified level uh, over secure methods to uh, concerning incidents involving UAP activity and there were numerous emails from senior military service members and leadership that substantiate the fact that the threat was real and these emails still exist apparently and again details can be provided over secure means. So as time moves along, you get to September 2012 and initial funding was exhausted for the ATIC program. And we successfully secured an additional 10 million through Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. Not to be confused with Gary Reid. So we're talking Harry Reid here. Obviously, if you you know the, the backstory of this, you would understand that Harry Reid was instrumental in securing the funding. So this funding was to be used for... Uh, fiscal years 2013 and 2014 however the language used in the appropriations was vague and basically vague enough that another office within OUSDI managed by Redacted used the funding to support other studies involving intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance so essentially even though the funding was secured they had to be extremely vague with the language used and it ended up that the funding didn't get used for ATIP in the end it ended up being used for another office it was the the money was secured but it was basically then Kind of ended up going down a side channel into something else, which it wasn't really intended for, as a result of the the um the, the wording used to actually secure the funding being vague for the purposes of of you know hiding where it was really going. I said su- I would I would suggest, so the money never went to ATP in the end apparently. Um, In 2013, October 2013, whilst working as a chief for the newly formed Intelligence Sharing and Partner Engagement Office under the OUSDI, Lou had the opportunity to brief ATIP to the Director of Foreign Material, OUSDI, and again redacted, and during 2013 he introduced him to other members of ATIP and its scientists. And Redacted attended numerous ATIP meetings where we discussed the role of DOD, FMA efforts to support ATIP along with logistics and facilities. Details, again, can be provided over a secure means there. And it was at this time, Lou informed his supervisor, Mr Neil Tipton, of his work in a parallel portfolio and his need to gain expertise from the ISR task force given the nuanced nature of analysis we were conducting. Mr Tipton indicated that he had no issue with Lou working on other efforts as long as his duties were not neglected at ISPE. And again, that's another one where specific details can be provided over secure means. So what that little bit there actually sort of suggests to me is that Lou Elizondo continued to work on A Tip, and he had basically wound down the OSAP aspect of of what was being looked at. Uh, when he took over leadership of the of the OSAP A Tip overall effort, he did basically wind down the the OSAP aspect of it because that was the aspect that was being particularly. Um, you know uh, chased down by people who were not supportive of the overall effort whereas the A tip aspect of it was something that lou was mostly involved in anyway and wasn't necessarily as difficult to pursue in terms of the opposition that it received now again lou elizondo has said all of this before this isn't anything new he said in the past that he was only tangentially evolved in Uh, in in orsap he was basically handling the counterintelligence and security for it however he did have a lot more to do with atip and when he became the overall leader of the whole thing which he did bear in mind for a period of time he decided to wind down the orsap aspect of it and keep going with the atip aspect of it and that included meeting members of the military who reported cases and the, the decision for that, I think, was was open to interpretation a little bit, but part of the reason that ATIP was pursued rather than ORSAP is because it's something that you can quantify a lot easier. You know, the, the ORSAP effort was very broad. The point of ORSAP, according to Lukatsky and, and some of the other people involved in ORSAP, all detailed in interviews and in the skinwalkers at the pentagon book was to follow the data wherever it led and the data led to some very strange areas the data led to some unusual and uncomfortable things being discovered you know weird paranormal links and, and aspects related to strange entities and beings and people being uh, sort of followed after having visited you know paranormal hotspots like skinwalker ranch and They would be followed home by what's referred to as the the hitchhiker effect, where after having visited certain areas, then they could end up finding that something has kind of followed them home, you know, quote unquote, and they have unusual experiences following on from from the visit to certain locations and, and things like that. Whereas ATIP was much more nuts and bolts it was much more military cases you know things like the nimitz tic-tac incident was a major focus of what atip were looking at and those kinds of things the sorts of things where we're talking about you know sensor data multiple witnesses people from the military so we're not talking about people who is difficult to verify you know the motivations and, and and you know how stable they are we're talking about people who are in the military highly trained You know, generally speaking, they're going to be much in my, again, different people might disagree, but in my opinion, we're talking about highly trained observers, people who, if anybody is going to be able to identify whether or not something's a plane, a balloon, you know, a bird or whatever it might be, I would suggest that people in the military probably have a better ability to be able to discern what's what than certainly than what I would and a lot of other people in in the public. Now, that doesn't mean that anybody is is completely incapable of making a mistake. But when we're talking about military cases with sensor data, the bigger picture is a lot clearer. You can vouch for the credibility of the individuals a lot easier, bearing in mind there, you know, again, you can check out somebody's history when you're talking about somebody in the military. You can find out from the leadership who have dealt with that individual, do they have a good record or have they got a bit of a track record of being a bit dodgy? Uh, you know during the time that they've served in the military it's a lot easier to verify all these details and get the bigger picture so that's why the atip thing was was pursued rather than the RSAP thing and and also as lewis again said this many many times in interviews that it's extremely expensive to pursue something like RSAP because you need to have much more wide-ranging capabilities and resources whereas atip is not that difficult to analyze uh, in terms of the resources and the manpower involved because you're just getting cases reported to you from members of the military and, and you've already got a lot of bigger picture stuff there already whereas OSAP would require, it's like a whole new frontier of investigation so as I say, all of this has been mentioned before Luele, by Luele Zondo in interviews and what we're getting here now is just a much clearer picture laid out in writing about how all of this worked So and and what I was about to say earlier as well before I kind of went on a slight tangent there for a second is October 2013 uh, as I mentioned just now Lou Elizondo actually mentioned to his supervisor Neil Tipton of his work in a parallel portfolio and Tipton indicated he had no issue with him working on other efforts as long as his duties were not neglected at ISPE. Uh, which is the uh, Intelligence Sharing and Partner Engagement Office, as I mentioned earlier. So Lou Elizondo has had permission from the people he was working with to continue his efforts on multiple things, including ATIP and and the other work that he did. And not only that, he also talks about there during 2013, he was briefing the Director of Foreign Material within the OUSDI about his work in ATIP and introduced him to other members of ATIP and it's scientists so this this goes to show that this wasn't luella zondo just kind of doing some hobby program in the background you know having a bit of a you know weird hobby as he was working on his proper duties like certain people have suggested might be the case even in 2013 luella zondo which is kind of after the the main period of activity for orsap luella zondo was briefing other individuals within the OUSDI about what the work was in ATIP and he introduced him to other members which suggests that there wasn't just Lou there was other people involved in this ATIP work and it's scientists which again shows that there were scientists on board with this effort so again very important details I think here so that's basically it for part 1. I thought to split this up into roughly an hour and then we're going to get into the part 2. I'll probably put that that one up the following day. So apologies for the cliffhanger but I thought a 2 hour episode might be a little bit too much. So that's it for part 1. Hope you'll join me into part 2 and you definitely don't want to miss part 2 because it starts off with a discussion about a very very interesting sounding video which came to the attention of the people working at A-tip in 2011 and that That video is a pretty mind-blowing detail of this IG report, in my opinion. So definitely worth checking in to hear about the rest of uh, of this report breakdown if you've enjoyed this one. So I'll catch you in part two. Till then, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in part two. UFO Thinker Podcast Podcast